1: It's a war Baby, this life The things we endure You said you saw the future And it's an apocalypse Who survives that? The lovers Or the fighters They sell us this lie that Love's gonna save us. All it does is make us stupid and weak. Thanks. Look at me. Love... isn't gonna save us. It's what we have to save. Pain makes us strong enough to do it. All our scars... Our anger, our despair, it's armor. Baby, God loves the sinners best because our fire burns bright, bright, bright. Burn with me.
2: It's 2021, and I'm still whipping out some Legion, because it's relevant and the apocalypse ain't going nowhere. But as Sid Barrett tells David Haller, we freaks and outcasts are only getting stronger because we are kings of pain and those veterans of a thousand psychic wars who have set the controls to the heart of the sun. We're going to rescue love this year now that 2020 fully awakened us to the simulation and the satanic game played by the Archons.
1: Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! The Great and Oz has spoken! Who are you? I, I, I am the Great and Powerful Wizard of Oz.
2: We burn as the hopeless sinners we are. Burn with the alchemical fire of ancient Alexandrian magicians. Burn with the forbidden gifts of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. Burn with the nuclear release of our indwelling divine sparks. We burn, we sinners, we freaks and outcasts.
1: Faith. I don't care if you save me, or the world, if you don't save yourself.
2: Welcome to the desert of the real. Welcome to Aeon Bite and the virtual Alexandria. We don't take prisoners but liberate them. We are not the final authority on anything but hope to be an endless possibility for everything including you finding your bespoken path to dealing with the apocalypse in 2021 and rescuing love once and for all. We write our own gospel and live our own myth. We run with those searching for the truth and avoid those who have found it. I am your host and greatest admirer, Miguel Connor, your pompous of gnosis, That smell of colita's rising through the air of a world gone mad.
1: Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here?
2: Still in the Illinois countryside, but looking to get the fudge out this year. Let me know of some good communities, or anarchist communes, or anywhere you think I can take my family to less authoritarian locations. I'm sure I'm not alone. But worry not, I will continue to bring you the most accepted and rejected scholars and provocateurs to your attention. Incredible astral guests this year for Aeon Byte and Finding Hermes. You could say this show is a fusion of Aeon Bite and Finding Hermes, as we'll be intermixing the esoterica and mental wellness.
3: What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. And, And shit, man.
2: For this, we have the pleasure of hosting at the Virtual Alexandria, Giaf Hunev, to discuss his book, The Spaces in Between, A Journey into Self-Evolution. Giaf will take us through the ideas of high-weirdness exemplars like Carl Jung, Crowley, Alan Watts, Gurdjieff, and others. Tying them with his breakthrough ideas for self-development and soul growth. He'll dig his concepts and spiritual tools. The middle children of history, man.
3: No purpose, no place. We have no
2: Great War,
3: no
0: Great Depression. Our Great War is a spiritual war. Our Great Depression is
2: our lives. But how do we save love during this apocalypse? That's easy. We express the incredible, ecstatic compassion each one of us has in our hearts. That combine arrows and Agape that are merely the energies of the Pleroma within us. The world has hated us because we love so strongly, you see. And now the world needs that love because so many meat sacks are combusting to ashes with self-hatred and hatred for others. They bought into the fury narrative of Yaldabaoth and his rage against his mother,
3: Sophia. If people can't control their own emotions, then they have to start trying to control other people's behavior.
2: We rescue love by showing love, by helping the least of our brothers, by being kind-hearted even with fools drowning in fear, which is most of the world. Like Hermann Hesse wrote in Gertrude, Fate was not kind. Life was capricious and terrible. And there was no good or reason in nature. But there is good and reason in us. In human beings with whom fortune plays. And we can be stronger than nature and fate. If only for a few hours. And we can draw close to one another in times of need understand and love one another, and live to comfort each other. And as the Gospel of Philip says, love refuses nothing and takes nothing. It is the highest and vast freedom. All exists through
4: love. If we have souls, they are made of the love we share, Undimmed by time, unbound by death
2: yes when we love we will be fully free but we must first find it within ourselves that inner odyssey as simple as that or as carl jung wrote in modern man in search of a soul what i do unto the least of my brethren i do unto christ But what if I should discover that the least amongst them all, the poorest of all the beggars, the most impudent of all offenders, the very enemy himself, that these are within me, and that I myself stand in need of the alms of my own kindness, that I myself am the enemy who must be loved? What then?
1: and masochists and hookers and those who have squandered everything are the ring of brightest angels around heaven.
2: Here's a simple exercise for you. If you're worried about how to grow or or which way to pivot this year or how to love better. In AA, I've heard it said, be the person your dog thinks you are. Think about that. But guess we probably shouldn't be the person our cats think we are. Weak slave bitches.
1: (laughs) I'm waiting to be impressed.
2: I've also heard it said of other recovering addicts making their dogs their higher power. As our dogs are completely accepting, forgiving, understanding. Unlike the gods of this universe. And they don't need worship, but bonding. We all need bonding.
3: Our lives
1: are not our own. From womb to tomb, we are bound to others.
2: Let us end with a poem by Caitlin Johnstone. It's relevant and it's called The Living Ones. Then I'll provide a theme clip from The Matrix about the power of love stolen from somewhere on the internet, but it just works. If you want to get to the interview and skip the poem and the clip, jump ahead about five minutes. If not, here it is, The Living Ones. The opposite of life is not death. The opposite of life is habit. One who moves from cradle to grave, in the flip-book illusion we call time, without deeply attending to this cavalcade of miracles, is one who never lived. Lifeless are they who live by habit, who walk by habit, who sit by habit, who see by habit, who think by habit, who feel by habit. Lifeless are they who drift through undead patterns, instead of giving the omnipresent holiness its due reverence. Eternity isn't some later time.
3: Eternity isn't a long time. Eternity has nothing to do with time. Eternity is that dimension of here and now which thinking in time cuts out.
2: The alive ones meet each moment, like a dog greets its master at the door after work. They do not think, they wonder, they do not watch, they marvel, they do not walk, they adventure, they do not sit, they engage, they do not wait, they worship. Awe was never meant to be exceptional. Awe is the only sane response to this mess. The Alive Ones know this, the Alive Ones live this. The mundane does not exist for them. The ordinary is a fairy tale told by the lifeless, to which the alive listen with rapt fascination.
1: You ever feel like nothing good was ever going to happen to you?
3: Yeah, and nothing did. So what? I'm alive. I'm surviving. That's it. I don't want to just survive. They take in
2: breath with the passion of a lover in bed. They entertain light in their retinas like a beloved guest. They merrily lose every war in the world. They dance without music in the frozen food aisle. They go out into the rain with bare feet and empty wine glasses. They greet every experience with exuberant curiosity. And as death approaches, it receives the same greeting.
0: Down through the centuries, the notion that life is wrapped in a dream has been a pervasive theme of philosophers and poets. So doesn't it make sense that death too would be wrapped in dream? That after death, your conscious life would continue?
2: And when they are gone, those they leave behind will be saddened but fulfilled, and so very grateful. To have known one who truly showed up here.
1: Love, it is a word, what matters is the connection the word implies. It is remarkable how similar the pattern of love is to the pattern of insanity. Love an emotion designed specifically to overwhelm logic and reason. I see that you are in love. Can you tell me what you would give to hold on to that connection? Anything. You love her. She loves you. It's all over you both.
4: Look into his eyes and tell me. Yes or
3: no. Yeah.
1: You have to save Zion. I can't. Not without you. They need you. I need you. Six hours ago, I was ready to give anything and everything for you. Do you know what's changed in the last six hours? Nothing. You are really ready to die for this man. Believe it. She entered the Matrix to save your life at the cost of her own
3: saying I have to choose whether Trinity lives or dies? No. You've already made the choice. Now you have to understand.
0: You give me Neo, or we all die, right here, right now. Neo, you can't be dead, because
1: I love you. Trinity, I can't die. Why, Mr. Anderson? Why? Why keep fighting? I love you, big one. But it be for love! Illusions, Mr. Anderson, vagaries of perception.
2: Only a human mind could invent something as insipid as love.
1: I think I might enjoy killing you as much as killing him. She'll do it. If she has to, she'll kill every one of us. She's in love. I yeah. can't okay, lose you. are not gonna
2: This is the Aeon Bite interview, and with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by Geoff Hunnef to discuss his book, The Spaces in Between, A Journey into Self-Evolution. Geoff, thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to have you, and it's always great to have the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing?
3: I'm fine tonight, and it uh, sounds like an intriguing book, so I can't wait to hear about it.
2: Oh, yes, it's uh, very interesting, and I was I was thinking, Geoff, uh, how things have changed, and let me know your thoughts, but I remember the, the typical self-help book, and I always loved these back in my day, whether it was uh, Gary Sukoff or Deepak Chopra or uh, any of those guys, it was always very narrow. I mean, you had basically some ideas of psychology, and let's lean on the Eastern traditions. Uh, let's talk about karma and reincarnation. Maybe a little talk a little bit about healthy habits. But now it seems it's changed. Now I see these authors have a, a wider pool or to draw upon, or they just do it. We've got entheogens. You've got the occult. Uh, people like you are bringing in from Crowley to Gurdjieff to Jung. Uh, you've got you're drawing upon a wider net of uh, esoteric traditions, and uh, it's actually really cool that this is happening today. Would you agree with this?
4: Yeah, 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 absolutely. It uh, it certainly seems to be a, a, a an optimal time. I mean, outside of the, the COVID right now, obviously that puts a bit of a damper on things. <laughs> But generally, uh, yeah, that was uh, one of the things I was noticing in the general mainstream that there was more uh, conversation on many of these other topics that were coming up and seeming need to have a bit more of a safe space to be brought up within um, a reasonable conversation within that general public zone. So I, I was like, hey, that looks like a good time to uh, start talking about some things that seem to be uh, once upon a time a bit more controversial. I think now might be a bit more, uh, at least people have heard of and and you know a bit more of a, a an, an open ear to uh, to listening.
2: Yeah, but how are things there in Canada? For example, here in the United States, I don't want to talk too much about the coronavirus because uh, everybody's got to take. But it mm. is almost disappointing that people are talking about masks and vaccines and medicine, and that, nobody's talking about holistic things like. Uh, Keep up your health, take a lot of vitamins, exercise, get a lot of sunlight uh, and so for not even going into the alternative medicine, is Canada the same way
4: um yeah I'd, I'd say that uh, there's a bit more of an openness towards the uh, vaccine. I think that there's a lot of people that are looking forward that as like the the general once that has come into play, that society can kind of get back on track with things and move forward with it
2: but what about like alternative health? politicians and leaders talk about that
4: right right so what what actually was really surprising because i i I spent three years uh studying traditional chinese medicine uh one of the schools up here and um what i was very surprised by was that uh things like acupuncture was far more common and accepted down in the states than it was in canada wow yeah um and, and the reason was partly because of the healthcare uh that there was a bit more of um because of the issue of like having to pay for your, your healthcare every time that you go, not that you, have, you don't have to pay when you go to see an acupuncturist, but when people are dealing with shoulder pain, where you go to see your GP, the general advice is like, you know, I don't know, take some Advil, stop doing what seems to be irritating it. Give it some <laughs> rep. Um, you know, th- then you're paying for that, <laughs> that advice. <laughs> um, from what I'm hearing, uh, especially like, I think on the, the West coast there, like oh, California and such um, things that like California, uh, Acupuncture is much more uh, accepted. It's much more integrated into a bit more of their commonplace uh, healthcare practices. Where up here, it's still foreign. Um, I remember uh, I had a GP uh, who did do acupuncture, which was a unique combination that I I did not see beforehand up here. Um, But generally speaking, there's a slow integration of like bringing more alternative practices into a general healthcare, um, I guess, uh, idea.
2: Well, that's good to hear. Hopefully, it gets better because, again, for the the virus, there hasn't been much of that, especially from our leaders. And I think uh, the uh, importance of sunlight, having a good attitude, vitamin C, all that uh, can make a huge difference for any for any disease. I mean, as you, I think one of the main goals or themes of your book is the idea that the mind and the body are not. Disconnected that our thoughts can create the health in our body, right
4: yes, yeah, yeah, I definitely would agree with that um I mean it's uh, I, I'm not necessarily saying just in the idea of think yourself healthy, but obviously when you start to think about putting the practices that lead towards a more healthy life in in use uh, you start seeing more of those results coming about, and by that you can start to create a more healthier life um, and then what I kind of lead into with that is the idea that like Through seeing how changing your behaviors in the physical world, you can start to have an effect on changing your physical form, your body, that you could take those same principles in a different format and apply that to the mind. And then I go one further with it and say, maybe we could apply those same ideas to the heart as well. The way that we go about developing a robust and healthy physique or form a healthy body, uh, that those same ideas can be used as well for the mind and the heart.
2: Awesome. Well, we want definitely want to unpack some of this, but first, let's get to know you. Uh, tell us about yourself and uh, what drove you to write this book.
4: Uh, over a decade ago, um, I'm I'm 37 now. When I was 21, um, I uh, met my partner, and um, we hit off from college. And uh, from that point there, we started to discuss a bit more openly about the types of um, relationship structures that we wanted to have with it. And from that there, we started to explore different aspects and saw a whole plethora of benefit that came from that. And from my experience within health from uh, as a fitness coach, as well as um, in the alternative medicines care, uh, I saw a lot of ideas that were kind of being... Um, used for the body, but I saw that there was an application for the same thing for stretching the mind as well as, uh, again, like developing ourselves emotionally and, and in our relationships. Uh, and so again, through reading, um, other things from Crowley to Gurdjieff and Young, those kind of helped to create a bit more of a foundation of seeing how some of these ideas can be, um, explored. Let's put it that way there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and this is something, again, is something you have, Applied to yourself? Do you have oh, you yeah. Applied it with
4: clients? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, and so that's just it. Is that like um in regard? So where where I'm kind of least, I don't know if you want to go. It's a it's a bit of a process. I kind of in the book try to go through a ex- explanation of it from the physical form to the mental, and then finally to the emotional. As uh, I think that that tends to be a bit more of a challenging area for a lot of people uh, in regards to their relationships. Um, And one of the things that really kind of uh, popped out to me was that in a ever-growing synthetic world where there's fake media and fake bodies and all sorts of um, inauthenticity that's being brought into play, the last place that I wanted to see that was in my most intimate relationships, right? And so in that, I started to see where there was areas of censorship, of hiding, of uh, avoidance and, um, you know, much. And I think many other ideas that like when you move towards the uncomfortable things, you tend to grow from them. Right. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes, yes. That, that is for sure. I mean, uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, at some of your ideas in your book about, uh, pushing yourself. And I think it's so obvious, for example, and I know this and I have to work on it, but, Again, a simple example, I walk the dogs every day through these trails to the the preserves that we have here. And every time I take a risk, (laughs) you can't even call it a risk, but I go a different way or a way I've not seen that morning. Uh, Even if it's five, 10 extra minutes to walk, my day is different because I've kind of broken my routine and something new has appeared. And I think that's what you write about right challenge yourself every day for new things
4: right right it's largely about stepping out of patterns um so like patterns are you know when we talk about who we are on, on a, as, as a person or an individual that's often largely built upon like patterns of behavior of thoughts of um, relationship structures all those things and that ends up kind of like uh forming our, I don't want to say destiny, but like our our lives that end up kind of guiding us. And when we don't take control, I think that's kind of where Gurdjieff was talking about being asleep, where we're on autopilot in a sense. And uh, I think one of the main things that he was kind of driving at was, how do you wake up? How do you you, um, come awake from that existential slumber, so to speak? And uh, it seemed what I was getting from him, at least one of the main ideas was to break pattern, break form. It's when you step out of that, you suddenly have to pay attention to what's going on. You can no longer rely on the autopilot that you were so consistently kind of relying on. And in that, you become more present and in the moment, and you're engaging with things in a much more real manner, more aware and awake. Um, Oh yeah, well said. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to like do something crazy dangerous, um, but it's the, you know, the the analogy that I kind of used was um, pushing your, defining your uh, center by, by finding your edge. And, and in that, it's sort of like um, if you were to walk into a pitch black room where you can't see anything and you have no idea what the dimensions are, and you're asked to find the center of the room, uh, essentially, like, I mean, maybe there's other ways uh, if you can figure out echolocation in that moment or something, but generally speaking, it's going to be by going all the way to the other side. Once you've got the other side, you define where one wall is, and you start looking for the other walls. As you've explored the unknown, you start to map out that space, and your idea of where the center room becomes more clear. Right, and so much the same way as 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 the sense of ourselves are, um, we rarely push against our boundaries in the sense where you know um, comfort is really comforting, and and as they say though, a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. And so it largely comes back into like cultivating a more courageous uh, attitude towards life and being able to step into unknown situations or scenarios and to be able to navigate that space more competently. But it only comes from stepping out into the unknown. And that can take many different forms.
2: Yeah. And like you said, it doesn't have to be uh, something wild. But I mean, the question is, aren't patterns and habits good? For right. a human being, right. I mean, how, again, it's a balancing act.
4: So this is this is where we this is where we get into the title of the book. It's it's the spaces between things as opposed uh-huh. to the things themselves. Um, so uh, I, I really enjoyed. There was this uh, adage I threw in there from this uh, Russian physicist, uh, Karl Gustav Jacoby, Jacobi, who was this Russian physicist who was known for slaying these mathematical monsters. And when they asked him how how do you how do you do it so easily and so regularly and he, he explained he's like invert invert that's what you do <laughs> he's like just write the equation backwards and you're going to see new things right so in that um invert when you when you go upside down when you spend time upside down uh there's a whole bunch of things that happen your your spine starts to realign to gravity from an inverted um, orientation and that starts to give some different kind of um, repositionings that your body starts to adapt to which is helpful in current overall getting a better alignment through top and bottom but also uh, the the flipped inversion there's an increased in blood flow that goes to your head and uh, what can happen at first there is the tiny blood vessels the the um, capillaries under the eyes can break. You get what's called petechia, where you get little freckling almost of uh, the capillaries that burst and uh, Mm. you get some red linings under it. It goes away. It's not nothing serious. You don't feel it in the moment, but what happens is the capillaries burst under the pressure. They're not accustomed to that kind of uh, stretch and stress, and so they break over time that stops happening the blood vessels get adapted to that increased blood pressure and they they kind of adapt to that and they stop having that response the facial tissue becomes more pliable as it gets you know if you don't use it you'll lose it so in this the the facial tissues gets expanded and contracted and it gets blood going to it which always helps in healing and so you know all that to say hey going upside down is beneficial so people hear that and then they say I can't live my life upside down. <laughs> and you're like, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying spend some time upside down and you'd be amazed at what happens, just a little bit. And so it's an exploring the spaces between these things. You take the idea of inverting things and, and I started to think, okay, so he was suggesting invert like when you come upon a problem, invert, try that out and see what happens, see what you see. Um, then it came to me, I'm like, what if you just started inverting like everything? And you start looking at everything and you start flipping it and flipping it and flipping it. And you start seeing how many different variations and interpretations things can start to be. And you start making all these new connections. And so it seems to be quite useful to start exploring these inversions. You just start to flip things. I mean, I just you take the idea of a of a man and you say invert. And you know, that could be like maybe, maybe you take him and he stands on his head. Uh, you say invert again and he goes from face up to face down. You go invert again, you turn them inside out, right? It's a little gross, but you gotta get them inside out. You say invert again, you turn them from man to woman, right? And so, just from that one idea, we got like four other ideas that came from that one thing. And so, that just starts to help us get new ideas and new perspectives. And it ultimately seems to be a good idea to gain new perspectives, right? I, I was hard pressed to see when there's a time to where really it'd be detrimental to gain a new perspective.
2: No, never. I mean, your book draws from a lot of thinkers and their wisdom. I love this quote uh, you provide by George Bernard Shaw when he said, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing.
4: Yes. Oh, yes. That's a, it's an unfortunate thing that I noticed as, uh, as I started getting older and seeing interactions with other adults that like the idea of play is foreign. And and in that, there's a, a loss of um, malleability and adaptability. And there's tons of things that we learn as kids in play. But unfortunately, as we grow older, we set aside those things and we focus more on work. Um, and, you know, work is good too. And again, this is what I'm saying. is that I'm not saying that, like, everything should be play, uh, nor should everything be work, but rather the space between work and play. And oftentimes when we can see, as I say, that when we can see that there is play within work and work within play, that's where we start to gain from both sides. No, I don't think that's really well said, yeah. Thank you. Um, when, we, when we do go to, uh, to work, um, I think that oftentimes there's a bit more value in approaching things from a more playful attitude as we're able to see things from new perspectives. When we get more tense and anxious, we start to become more tunnel-visioned within our mind's eye, so to speak. And in that we, we start to see less options and less possibilities. Uh, when we have a more playful attitude towards things that, that, that becomes more a, a, within that sense of play, you can do things in, thing, in ways that don't necessarily seem to be the most um, uh, productive or, or the most uh, uh, proficient, but it ends up being something that leads towards something else in a way that you didn't see before. Uh, and, and conversely as well to see that there are things within play that are as valuable as work. Um, and again, going back into as with kids, like there's tons of things that we learn from hand-eye coordination to, um, how to socially behave and what's acceptable to play with and what's not and stuff like that. And so that's where, again, those are crucial things. But unfortunately, as we grow older, sense of play dies and it's, I don't know, at most we, we get together over coffee inside.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. I was thinking, uh, kids it's okay if kids talk to themselves it's healthy then as adults it's frowned upon but then again with old people it's fine it's acceptable again i think uh we should always be having conversations with our imaginary selves or with ourselves right oh yeah <laughs> uh, out in the open
4: <laughs> <laughs> i think it'd make for a much more interesting place for sure
2: yeah, yeah, it'd be disturbing if you're at work, but... Uh, <laughs> but And you're 100% right. I mean, uh, uh, when I was in marketing, uh, gamification always gave much better data when we did uh, surveys or anything like that. Uh, human beings are wired to be able to just enjoy and play games.
4: Oh, yeah. Um, and that's where, again, as well, that there's, there's this sense of... Um, and again right now due to covid it's a bit more difficult to have more face to face interaction but you know uh as we do go towards more screen time because again even with gaming on on screen i love video games don't get me wrong i play them too <laughs> but <laughs> um unfortunately it seems there's more and more time that we're spending in front of screen time and there's less time that we're spending in front of like people mm-hmm. um, now i mean same time like i said like due to technology we can have conversations like this right now where we're in different time zones and we're able to communicate and talk right so i mean like again i'm as soon as you say one thing people tend to jump all the way to one side it's a very black and white <laughs> kind of perspective yeah. on things and it's more like it's it, things are uh, Alistair crowley once said there i think something i may be butchering it but like you know if you have a, a thought think of it's the exact opposite. And in the marriage of the two, you have the destruction of illusion. I
2: love it. Yeah. And there's another uh, quote or more like a exercise that he created. Uh, What is it? It said with the restriction of prohibitions of using certain words, such as the and and but Right. Uh, see how that avoidance can alter our thoughts and change our speech and give us new challenges to communicate. And I love that because yeah, if you told me not to say and for a week, I, mean, I would be in a very high state of awareness all the time.
4: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it totally disrupts things. And so this is where I kind of talk about disrupt, uh, constructive disruption, where you utilize things that create an impedance, but for the purpose of, of gaining something more in the abstract afterwards. Um as I, I give the exam I mean, that 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 was brilliant i mean from from crowley in in the in this perspective of the mind that that that's exactly it right You just create these obstructions that you have to work around, and in that you you start to see new avenues and new ways of wording things or connecting things um, the same goes with the body as well, and the idea that like uh if you were like let's say you're a fighter and you're learning to uh, fight having one arm tied behind the back for a period of time, you could see we're working with the detriment once the obstruction is removed you've gained something more than what you previously had going into that right and so in Mm -hmm. that same way from the body to the mind we can take it further into the emotions as well with it and so again just to kind of start to overlap the the groundwork to show or illustrate that like you could see how things affect it within the the physical form and it seems that things are the same but different in the mental realm or dimension of, of reality if you want to call it that. Um, and then conversely as well, I would think that like the, the other aspect of reality being emotions, like we, we feel things and those have far more influence largely on our actions than than thoughts. I mean, from I, I, marketing, I believe you, you try to get at the, the emotional context of them, right? More than the the actual data that you're trying to provide. It's the story that's being told more than the the data.
2: Your book is uh, very eclectic when it, when it comes to, well, almost everything, even the the spiritual figures you bring in, uh, just out of curiosity, would have been some of your uh, spiritual or intellectual leaders or influences growing up or through your adulthood?
4: Um, so or you're just I, eclectic.
2: Uh, I just said it. You <laughs> just draw where you draw
4: from. <laughs> um, well, I mean, like like uh, I was uh, originally Roman Catholic and I, I served in the church. Uh, and at some point I hit what I call the age of reason and saw that it wasn't quite what I believed it was and again i think that a lot of people have a child's perspective of religion or spirituality and at that some point if they if they don't evolve that or mature it i think that it stays within that like oh really it's it's an old white man up in the sky with a gray beard looking at (laughs) you know in that sense then you're like okay if that's how you're thinking of things and yeah i guess like it's not going to make a lot of sense so uh at that point i think that uh, quite early on i was a little bit like uh upset over the fact that like it seemed like everybody was believing it and and nobody checked behind the curtain like it was just like for fact that like for sure there's this guy and he created everything and that's how it is no questions about it uh and at some point it was just like but wait a minute that's that's not adding up and then of course you see contradictions and and hypocrisy that forms within the church and any organization really with it there and so you're just like ah that's not overly great so you know you rebel and you're like well let's invert right you go to the opposite side there and at some point you're like ah this seems to be about the same thing as the other side <laughs> um so then you know atheism atheism is like yeah that makes sense let's go down that road for a while there because at least that way whatever i believe in is something that is, is provable right in that sense um and uh i, I followed atheism uh like a devout <laughs> fundamentalist <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you are yeah, a new
2: yeah. atheist uh, you had oh, yeah. your Pope Richard Dawkins, and all those guys sam right, Harris. right,
4: right. <laughs> um and uh and in that as well like i, I think that um philosophy was I, I guess like my my saving grace in that, and um, I really enjoyed reading a lot of the great minds that kind of came before and um it, it struck me as like what uh, Nietzsche was talking about in thus big Zarathustra that like it was the end of God and in that the, the role of the, the humanity that was left in place is to step in. And depending on how we did that, that could lead us towards the Superman or we could fall on either side to our death as the, as the tightrope walker did. And, um, I, you know, I, I think that in that there's an element of value within going down the road of atheism and questioning reality with it there, but to go deeper with it and to start finding, um, The idea, so I I kind of, uh, from the Goetia, yeah, the Goetia, there Mm -hmm. was a line in there where it says, the world is a magical mirror wherein one who sees muck is muck. And that really struck a bell with me in terms of seeing myself in the world and how what I do in the world has a reflection upon what I see or how I see myself in it. And so that's where this whole kind of, introspective journey came about within almost everything that you do allows you to start perceiving yourself within almost like how everything becomes like a Rorschach blot, and just like whatever you're seeing and however you're seeing it starts to give you a description or, or an idea of yourself as uh, we often d- it's difficult to see ourselves but when we start to notice like what it is that we look at or what we see or what we notice we start to have a bit more of a sense of ourselves and in that reflective aspect of it there we start to become more just aware and once you become aware you can start to do something if you wanted to but you know before that generally uh, if you're not aware that there's like something uh oh i didn't realize i was always dragging my foot if i didn't realize that i was dragging my foot i may not be inclined to just pick up my foot mm-hmm. so once it becomes aware you can then if you want change it if you want and and that all comes down to like so how do you change <laughs> uh <laughs> There's everybody, how do you change things? I I I, I say I want to quit doing something and I never do, right? I, I right. say I going to start something and I don't. And so all of these things come back into these ideas of like, how do we have more influence or control over ourselves? And I think that kind of goes back into the subconscious and how much that influences and dictates us in our, in our lives. Um, and so I think uh, talking about in terms of changing your mind, in that sense there, I, I pointed to... Um, Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. (laughs) Great title. (laughs) And that book really kind of um, centralized how the research coming out from universities and such in regards to entheogens and psychedelics and how they're having a profound effect on the mind in regards to addiction, um, as well as uh, depression, anxiety. I don't want to go into all the lists there because that's still being determined. I'm not saying that it does have any profound, specific effects in that regard, But it does seem that there is something interesting coming about that warrants further investigation. Um, But what he was pointing out was the aspect of neuroplasticity that these substances or experiences seem to provide. Um, I'll speak from my own personal experiences with there that uh, out of... I'm particularly speaking from mushrooms, just so we're clear on that. And um, I found from my experiences on it there that I was having these... Ideas or experiences that led me towards reflecting upon my myself, uh, my, my family, my relationships, um, things that ended up having benefit and use afterwards. It wasn't just the fleeting moment of like, wow, that was a, I saw a kaleidoscope. I saw beautiful colors. <laughs> I and was then one with God. Right? You know, cool, great, that's awesome. But, like, you know, did you change anything with your life afterwards? Did did that have any influence or impact on you? Or did you just go on beating the same drum?
2: <laughs> they call it spiritual bypassing, I think that's the term. Right, just, right. You're always in the mountain meditating, but never doing anything on the ground.
4: No, and so it seems to be very much the space between those two. Um, <laughs> in that... Um, I remember the, the, I believe it was the guy who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. I don't remember his name right now, but uh, I believe the comment was uh, that he's like, you know, you go up on the mountain and you meditate and you find oneness and calmness and, and you let go of all these things and you, you found yourself and you come back off that mountain, you go back into the city and you get into a relationship and all that self-awareness goes right out the window.
2: Um, <laughs> no, I think it was, yeah, You have actually you have the quote here at Geoff. Uh, it's from Ram Dass oh, it's Ram said, das. oh. if you think you're enlightened spend a week with your family that's an yeah. amazing quote because it's so true
4: <laughs> right oh absolutely oh yeah
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah here in the United States Thanksgiving is a great tester of enlightenment <laughs> nobody's enlightened
4: <laughs> right right and so that's well, the where card table comes out <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so it, it seemed very much that, um, again, it, it's one thing to have these high lofty ideals, but it's it's another thing to put it into practice. And um, there was, in terms of antigens within that, um, there was this uh, one book called Mushroom Wisdom, and I can't remember the author's name, um, but in that he had talked about this uh, term called a peak experience. And it wasn't peak as in like um, hitting an apex or a high point sort of thing. It wasn't that. It was like a peak as in the way that you would peek around the corner or over a fence. You'd peek at something. Uh. And um, the analogy was along the lines of like, uh, you'd be walking along the street and suddenly this ladder appears out of nowhere and it stretches high into the sky. And you climb up and you go up 30, 40 feet and you look around and things look different. You're higher. And you see further and in the distance, you may see something beautiful, like an oasis. You see something wonderful and marvelous and it makes so much sense. Oh my God, it just, oh, I get it. It makes so much sense. And then you come back down and you no longer see it. You're, you're not any closer to it. it. It's vanished out of sight. And in that experience, um, people can be like dismissive over the idea that, oh, it was, I was just high. I was just tripping i you know that, that's all <laughs> it was there um meanwhile in that in that peak experience that you had what it did was it gave you a glimpse of an ideal you saw something that was beautiful that made sense that that was an oasis you come back down and you no longer see it but you have an idea a sense of where it is what direction to orient yourself to now um I talk a lot about how uh, in between matriarchal and patriarchal cultures, there was some really interesting kind of polarities or contrasts that were being shown between the two. And um, in the patriarchal, they valued waking sobriety, like consciousness. This was the way that you would go to war. I mean, I don't know. I I hear the Vietnam War was pretty pretty heavily. (laughs) <laughs> they're all drugged bad up. man the they're Germans were pretty drugged up right in the Nazis yeah. <laughs> uh, you know so I don't know maybe not maybe you do go to war inebriated or intoxicated yeah but, your uh,
2: book talks about the Vikings used to take shrooms before they right? went on they were the greatest fighters in history
4: right right I mean and so in that that was an interesting comment just because I, I noted that um, in my experiences that uh, on mushrooms my grip strength would go up and oh um, in, in strength conditioning, your grip strength has a direct correlation to your upper body strength. Uh, partly because if you can't hold on to the weight, you can't lift it. So there, there's a direct correlation on that. So I noticed that my grip strength had considerably increased on that. And I was wondering if there was an effect on the physical body. And so when I look back into some of the uh, literature, I'm trying to find like, did they ever use it for like, I don't know, anything else than just like having spiritual connections or, or journeys or such. And um, the Vikings were one with the berserkers. That seemed to have been something that was being used in their brews before going into uh, battle. Um, in South America, that they would use it for hunting um, as it aided in gross movement patterns and edge detection. And uh, Africa, apparently, they have a wide range of entheogens, and some of them are used for fighting. Uh, and I was amazed by that they differentiated between fighting there were certain plants that you would use for fighting with your fists and other ones that you would use for fighting with weapons. Wow. Yeah. I was very surprised by that. I don't, I've never dug further into that, but the difference was on it, but I was surprised to see that there was a difference in that. Um, all that to say, uh, I was at a conference, uh, university of Toronto, uh, and, uh, in they were talking about microdosing and I had asked them if there was any reports of people using it for physical performance enhancement because it is being used in places like Silicon Valley for creative design and troubleshooting or problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, in therapies, it's being used for you know, mental exploration and healing and such with it there. But I was curious to see if there was anything being used for the physical body um in that sense and uh the the presenter uh she she laughed and she was like actually yeah we're getting reports from people in in the wwe the 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 wrestling oh wow iteration they're using it in their training so i was like really that's that's (laughs) okay good to know um so yeah, so as a side note, there was there seems to be physical benefit as well for performance enhancement in various degrees that uh, I've noted and I've been trying to find other people to kind of hone in on that aspect of it there to see if other people are noting that or finding that too. Um, and it seems that there are, just I haven't found them yet myself.
2: And <laughs> <laughs> hey, how are the, the, the laws in uh, Canada? I mean, here in the right. United States, it's gotten much better. Now, a lot of states are allowing uh, research on mushrooms and to use for therapeutic, obviously, Cannabis is becoming widespread, uh decriminalizing drugs all over. We still have a long way to go before we get rid of this useless war on drugs, but yeah. We're yeah. taking steps. How are things in Canada?
4: Uh Canada is it's similar. It's coming a long way with it there. I know that they recently legally allowed for two men who were to treat depression that to use mushrooms for. Awesome. Um, it was a, a big step forward with it there. Um the laws are a bit strange here because they also grow naturally here. Mm-hmm. It's not illegal to have them if they're wet, if they're fresh. That that seems to be okay. it's just <laughs> dry them. Uh-huh. <laughs> when they dry, that's when it's illegal, and, and oh, that becomes okay. problematic. <laughs> so, look, it's a bit of a foggy, hazy kind of law on that. Doesn't seem to be overly enforced, but uh, at the same time, I would not recommend just going down the streets and advertising that either.
2: <laughs> my um, mushroom just dried up. Oh no! I'll be <laughs> just,
4: in the sun, it happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, But I mean, from my experiences on them, I found that there was a wholesomeness that wasn't seen in anything else that I've I've, I've dabbled with other recreational. Drugs and such was it there and i mean they were fun for when i was a kid and such with it there but i never carried much forward with it and kind of left it behind um but mushrooms was a whole I, i'll say psychedelics i'm sure that's just in that broad stroke but for me it was specifically mushrooms um they really hit home in terms of um having deep, just a matter of like oh wow i, I just had this like great experience and <laughs> you know in that sense like i said like, it was it was things that i then integrated and took to heart and changed in my life um, as, as one example was um, I saw that my mother had sacrificed much things for my sister and I growing up that I never acknowledged and realized. And in that it, it elucidated or illuminated to me um, a disconnect, a separation that I had noticed, noted within myself and both of my parents in that. And after the experience, it, it it dawned on me that there was at the very least in a symbolic fashion that the relationship that I have with my children are some way of a reflection will be of my, what I have with my parents. There'll be some patterning of some sorts that will carry forward within that. Um, Seeing that I didn't want to have the relationship that I had with my parents to have with my kids. I uh, was took it upon myself to change that. I was like, you know what? That's not um, how I want to do things. So I, invited my mom to come and live with me and be a part of my family household and you know uh <laughs> back to that example with Ram Das about the whole uh you think fighting <laughs> your family
1: yeah yeah you, <laughs> I, your spirituality
2: I was challenge. like you know what
4: I want to I want to I'm up for the challenge I'm up for the challenge Let's do this <laughs> uh, and, and for that, it certainly had a significant benefit towards my family, my kids, my mom, my mother. Um, and by that, I think just the overall uh, family structure that moving forward with it there, um, going into the idea of generational lineage kind of traumas and carrying forward things. I think that all that starts to overlap. And I think when we start to become more aware of who we were, who we are, and who we want to be, that we start to have more influence and control over directing those things um as opposed to just being directed by the world and suddenly like i said like you know at some point five ten years down the road you you, you wake up to like wait a minute this isn't the life i wanted
2: this isn't <laughs> it's like that talking head song once in a lifetime right
4: <laughs> right yes <laughs>
2: <laughs> one of my favorite existential songs yeah and it, and as you're talking it's interesting because we not only have to deal with the trauma placed on us by our parents, but we also have to deal with our ancestral trauma, our ancestors, oh, yeah. our cultural trauma. So we have a lot more. Each one of us has a lot more to carry on their shoulders, but that doesn't mean we should feel bad for ourselves as if we know what the task is. and But and as we're talking, we have many more tools to deal with them in this uh, modern era.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think as well that in the, the growing awareness that we're starting to have more and more that there is more conversations about um, our struggles and our vulnerabilities, and in that, I think that there is there's opportunity for us to to start changing as we start to see that other people have similar challenges or struggles, hurdles that they're overcoming, overcoming or failing as well. Um, I know that uh, I mean just. In, in the process of me writing this book i i uh i kept on constantly feeling like this is a terrible idea this is stupid this is this is uh you know um oh yeah god i know the feeling yeah <laughs> right right you know you know and so in that when i hear from other people that they had the same experiences i'm like okay this is part of the process like this is this, this is still part of it
2: <laughs> yeah yeah that's um, <laughs>
4: that's normal right? yeah <laughs> and and but in that though like i mean like it's 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 tough to do and you can ex- you can talk from those experiences afterwards that um helps to give more more confidence and and competency to the things that you're talking about um you know i mean like again going to like the idea of like pushing boundaries and challenges uh, you know for the most part people are going to keep it to a relatively safe space um and in that though like you know uh, the um Example of that I, I gave in there, one of them was uh, I ended up doing a hook suspension, where I was hung by my back by hooks, mm-hmm. and and you in had that photos. Uh, right had some photos in there. Yes, fortunately <laughs> I had some, I had some from back when I did it, and I was like, oh sweet, I can put them in there. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I often have people ask afterwards, like, why why you why you do that? <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> not a normal everyday thing no no
3: texas chainsaw massacre a beat right before that or
4: something? <laughs> right uh-huh. um so in that uh it, it kind of so it kind of stems from um back when i was like seven years old uh i ended up watching a movie with my dad called uh a man called horse oh my god yeah with uh D- uh hoffman what's his name yes uh, mm-hmm. yes 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 that was an
2: incredible intense film with the nipples oh my god
4: right oh yeah oh yeah
2: Dustin Hoffman uh, yes. it,
4: it was good it left a mark never point did it leave a mark where i'm like wow i want to do that it just it was it was a, a mark <laughs> <laughs> and um in that years later uh i ended up coming in contact with some people where they ended up uh they, they did that as a business yeah that's what they did oh, wow Yeah. Yeah. And uh, because I remember like at some point being like, where do you ever like have the chance to be like, oh, there's an opportunity. I think I'll go for that. Never, never. Right. So uh, this opportunity came by and um, I was like, you know what, let's go for it. Let's do that. That sounds like something that few people would step up to, uh, you know, up for the challenge, so to speak. And so I was like, yeah, let's do that. Um, I think when you go deeper into it, it starts to come into being able hey, to... Jeff,
2: could you uh, describe the ritual and the ritual in A, a Man Called Horse?
4: Okay, so in, in A Man Called no, wait, Horse... The
2: audience can see what it is. Right, a little hopefully... bit, right. Yeah,
4: So it was, a, it was a, an old movie uh, about a cowboy that got captured by some Native Americans and they um, basically enslaved him and treated him like a pack mule, and they called him Horse. Like a, like a horse. Right. And um in his time in the village there he ended up kind of hitting it off with one of the women and they kind of wanted to i think get married um but to do that he had to be a member of the tribe and he was not a member of the tribe so to do that he had to go through the uh the sundance ritual which was the initiation rites for their their boys to become men in the tribe and um in that, what they'd do is they would uh, take a pole and they'd stand it up and they'd lash vines out from it there and tie it to the top. And then they would take these bones um, and, and, or skewers and they would drive them through their chest. Their nipples. Um, nipples for they, men. <laughs> they, 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 they did it through their, the, the, the skin on their chest, the nipples. Uh, yeah. They put through the, the calves. Uh, they take these skewers, they put them through the calves and the arms as well. Uh, and, uh, and then they would kind of be hung by these things or, or they'd lean back and they'd be pulled by these things for hours, for hours. They kind of get into this daze that they, uh, some of them, when they were being hung by it there, they would have other members come by and hit them or right. give them a push. Did <laughs> you not yet suffered enough yet? Give them a push. And so, uh, uh, yeah, and so uh, afterwards, when, when often these dancers would um, collapse, they would then have two two other members that would come and grab them, uh, and they'd cut the vines, and then they go running with them, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and they'd run until until the skewers came out, I guess, sort of thing. And so that was that was that was that. <laughs>
2: yeah, it was intense. My experience Initiation. was
4: nothing like that.
1: <laughs> A little bit better.
4: A <laughs> <laughs> little different. A little different. I had the hooks through my back, and um, it was uh, I got. Pulled up. And so actually, sorry, just as a quick little story on that one. Um, when I went there, there were these two other girls that were going before me. And um, one girl, she was going with a, a lotus position. She's sitting cross-legged. And mm-hmm. there's a ring above that had these hooks coming down, suspended around her in a circle. And the, the, the person who was setting it up was going around and hooking her up and kind of getting her all set with it. And then they used a, a, a lift to lift her up. And as they got her up, the guy was walking around checking to see how all the insertion points were and saw that there was a tear starting to form. Oh. Yeah. yeah, That can't be good. Oh. You can imagine. Once that goes, it's, it's just going a whole lot more.
1: Oh.
4: <laughs> so he called it, got her down, they took her off and they stitched her up right there. It was fine. It was good. Um, her friend was going next and her friend, after seeing what had happened to the girl before, uh, was a little nervous. And so she was just doing the normal one through the hooks through the back. So it seems to be a conventional position sort of thing. And um, she started to get really consumed by fear as the tension got pulled up and she started to come up onto the toes. They don't just lift you up. You do that yourself. You kind of, they let you take your time to like, when you feel comfortable, try to come off the ground and get airborne, so to speak. Um, when I was reading beforehand, a lot of people have a hard time with that. Uh, letting go of the ground and being... Stay or secure enough that your, your back isn't just going to rip off or something like that. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, she really welled up with, um, fear and, um, got overwhelmed with it and she couldn't, she couldn't do it. And so after some time had passed, uh, she came down, uh, in tears and they took her off and, uh, you know, took her to the side and all that fun stuff there. Uh, and then it was my turn and it was my turn and uh, I <laughs> look at all that I was like okay all right I, I I see I see that there's gonna be some challenges uh let's see how it goes and um they put the hooks through the back which wasn't wasn't too bad with it there and um once they got the tension up and I was kind of being lifted up onto my toes I could feel uh oh I see what they're talking about I could see why it's difficult to get those those feet off the ground <laughs> Um, but I, uh, after a moment there, I kind of sunk down and, and felt the weight go into my back and then took my feet off the ground and I was hanging and I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is okay. It's a little, little tense, you know, but like it was, it was manageable. And, uh, so I was hanging around for a little bit and then they were suggesting to me to try to bring my arms up over my head. And I was like, oh, why? And I went to bring my arms up over my head and it was really difficult. Uh, it was very painful. Um, but I did it. I got there and I was like, okay, that was interesting. Didn't, didn't expect that. And then, uh, they ended up advising my partner to come over and she, she came over, grabbed onto my shoulders. I wrapped my legs and arms around her and took a step back and then we swung together. So there was a brief moment where like I was supporting both of our weights through the, the two hooks that, that hurt. <laughs> I'll just say that everything else was pretty manageable. That part there hurt a fair bit. I was I was in quite a bit of discomfort. So I was, okay, get off. <laughs> Let me down. This, uh,
2: this ritual. What's the background? Is this taken from Native Americans, or is there a science behind this? Or
4: so so in this here. So when we're getting into suspensions, there's a broad range of different fields. Some of it is going into Native American, where there's uh-huh. some um, angles from that. Uh, some of it, I believe there was uh, an artist that uh, I want to say back in the 70s uh, where he was doing a fair bit of work where he was doing suspension, where he just had himself suspended by hooks um, out on a coastal line, lying sideways. Uh, out of, he did a whole bunch of just different takes on the idea um, and really ran with it. Um, and then you see a fair bit of it as well at things like Burning Man, right? Oh. So. Just in that context of where you'll you'll see those kinds of practices, and then of course as well, if you uh, go to any um, fetish events or kink organizations, you could also come across that stuff there as well.
2: Hmm. Well, obviously that's not going to happen to me. What about you, Vance? Have you seen it in your last kinky event?
3: No, I. No, I missed not, it. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> you take kinky and uh, reverse it, invert it, and that's me. Right. Right. <laughs>
4: Well, so first and foremost, it was not a kink-oriented thing. A lot of people were like, oh, is this sexual or something? I'm like, no, I had nothing to do with that. But it's amazing how much it goes there for people.
3: Well, I think, you know, my opinion is it's a form of introducing a controlled trauma on, on the principle that um, you learn from traumatic times in your life. You know, like when you're, I think, uh, Geoff, didn't you say earlier, you pointed out that uh, when you're comfortable, um, nothing moves. You don't gain anything. You're just kind of there. I'm satisfied. You know, I don't move. But when you've got a trauma, then you start noticing the pain. You start noticing the fear. What if these rip through me? And so forth and so on. And, and probably a lot more that I can't imagine since I've never done the process. But I have a feeling, just the same way that what was it, Trappist monks used to hit each other, you know, or hit, exactly. Hit themselves yeah. in the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing, because um, out of trauma comes uh, some sort of... Um, yeah. uh, or the
2: know. mystery religions that you're supposed to that scare the shit out of you before you went into the actual ritual. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Completely malleable <laughs> and open to whatever um, energies are out there.
4: Initiations. Bingo. Have you guys ever heard of the Aghori? I
2: don't the Aghori.
4: So. From India? No. No, so it's, uh, it's a sect in India, in Hinduism and um they uh you may have just in terms of just the iconic tropes of that group of people they um they would quite regularly uh be covered in the ashes of the dead they Ooh, would like uh, oh yeah oh they're they're fascinating they're very interesting they uh they drink and eat out of human skulls um they often congregate in um fi- uh, pyres or cemeteries um they would uh where they they'd eat their feces, drink their urine, eat human flesh. They would have sex with dead bodies. They would meditate on dead bodies. It was all. I mean, this is still an ongoing practice today. Like they still, it's there. And um, in that, they are, from my understanding. My understanding, and I'm 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 not Hindu, so I'm just going to put that there. From my understanding, in Hinduism, uh, there is the caste system and the caste system is sort of like, there's this hierarchy of karmic, I think resolution or or, or cleansing that like, as you, the idea is that God or the divine is pure, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, everything else is kind of various stages of impurity or dirtiness. And depending on what you do throughout your life, you can either clean yourself and get a little bit more clean or you can do things that will dirty yourself, right? Um, and in that, there is a broad range of things that you can do, but like, you know, doing bad things or harmful things would be bad for you. But also touching things like dead bodies or human waste, those things too were seen as like unclean. Surprise, surprise. So, uh, you know, certain uh, the, in the caste system, the untouchables, the very bottom rung of that caste system, they are the ones who are relegated to cleanup because they're cleaning up, they're constantly touching the dirtiest things you can kind of touch. They're always in that state of dirtiness. And so they never have this sense of being able to climb out of their position within the world, right? Um, In that, what that has done is produce a, a... pariah or a social kind of ostracizing of that group people aren't um they don't want to help that group they don't want to administer health care to that group because in that conventional sense there's afraid of gaining or getting dirty from them the agori their idea is that they're saying that that divine spark isn't outside it's inside it's inside me and no matter what i do no matter what i touch i'll never get that dirty Right? I don't know so, why they
3: don't just say it and get it over with.
4: <laughs> <laughs> right? They go, they go hardcore. But in that, the idea is that you're by – because, I mean, Crowley did some pretty out-there things as well with some of his practices, um, like with the cakes and stuff like that that he made. Um, in that, I think that the idea is that you're doing something that you would otherwise say no to. As the example with the hooks, a lot of people would say no to something like that because it's too crazy, it's too gross, it's too obscene, it's too out there, whatever. Um, but when you look at almost like the visceral reaction that's had, it's like you 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 can't, you succumb to your form, your body. You do not have control over self. Um, the, the form has control over you in that sense. And so when you're able to override those things that we instinctively turn away from, I think you gain control over having some kind of say within yourself. And it's where it's kind of coming from with that idea. Um, so in that, I found that from my experiences of like in the sense of being hung by hooks in that example, I found that in many uh, other places or ways where people would shy away from or say no to i have been more than uh up for saying yes to and i'm not saying just for crazy moments or adventures with it there but i mean like in regards to taking action in the world and doing something uh you know i mean many times over you see something and i get that you could just walk by or you act upon it and you say no I, I disagree i think that's wrong i think that, that needs to be corrected of course you get into the whole thing about well who made you the, the person king
2: of (laughs) what's (laughs) right. Yeah. I'm going to have to look more into the Agora reminds me of, uh, obviously the Gnostic carpocratians and the Mazdakites and the Kabbalists and the assassins, the sort of a redemption through transgression and making them, making them mundane into, or the gross into holy and offering it up to the world and all that. So, yeah, I'm going to look more into it, but for the audience, uh, his book is a good read. He's got plenty of exercises you can do, mental, physical. He gives uh diet suggestions and covers a whole range of uh esoteric traditions, some that you probably many of you hadn't heard, like the Russian fellow in the school of breathing. What was that again? The uh what was the name of it, Giof? Um There was I lost my breathing
4: there was, there was Russian hyper breathing Yes, that's
2: uh, it, yeah there's a whole was a school different... in Toronto that you were going to. Uh...
4: Ah, sistema, sistema. That was. Sistema. That's the it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. It. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
2: So there's there's a lot of really good stuff. So I I would definitely highly suggest for the audience you check out the spaces in between a journey into self evolution. But uh, we are at the end, and it's been a great conversation. First of all, Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company in between your spaces.
3: <laughs> yeah, a lot of interesting practical wisdom there tonight, and some other things like swinging on hooks and so forth. Stay
2: away from those hooks, man! <laughs> awesome. Well, Gia, uh, before we go, please tell the audience where they can find more about
4: you and where they can purchase the book. Thanks, guys. Um, my uh, I can be found at Jeffhuniff.com, dot com. G e o f f h u n n e f dot com uh my book can be bought there as well which is on amazon and uh, Indle, uh i can't remember there's a few other ones barnes and nobles um uh, but if you go to my website you can get get it there absolutely thank you guys so much i appreciate being on the show it was awesome i really enjoyed the conversation and being able to kind of talk a bit more in detail
2: yeah it was a great conversation and we really appreciate you coming on am bite so good luck with everything
4: thank you you guys too
2: and there you have it, my beloved true seekers. The first part of our interview with Geoff Hunif. We need as many red pill suppositories as possible. As John Lennon sang, "The way things are going, they're gonna crucify me." In our second part, Geoff provides tips and tricks to destroy that mind killer that is fear. ...as well as alternative and unique breathing and meditation exercises. He'll share advice on dealing with addiction. We'll talk about C.G. Jung and Alan Watts... ...and then Geoff will discuss how to have stronger relationships in your life... ...and much more. Most of you know the drill on how to get the full episode... ...and all past full episodes... And how it helps keep this Red Pill Cafeteria growing. And that I reject advertisers as I work for you and only you. So please support in any way you can. If you think 2020 had some remarkable astral guests, just wait. Just wait in 2021. The topics will be truly mind-expanding, reality disbanding And the Finding Hermes program gets you into the true virtual Alexandria. Where we share ideas and I provide the unique and authentic wisdom and rituals of the Gnostics and ancient Hermetics. We're only just getting started and it's been a great success. Let us end with a song by Andrew Wakefield entitled Step Away. Very Gnostic music, and very relevant to our fight against the Archons. And a very well-written tune. Hello and goodbye, as always.